friends, family, and fuck demons. Welcome to Sex News with Ray. I'm your host, Ray. And as mentioned, for the next few episodes, we are being joined by different Jewish people who were involved in the Jewish organization that I worked for before I quit to work at a sex club. Today, we are joined by Rachel. Rachel, do you want to tell us about yourself? I would love to. Um, yes, my name is Rachel. Uh, my name is Rachel Goldberg, which is like the most Jewish name um, this is important because um, a lot of my experience comes from being Jewish and such. Uh, I'm 24 years old. I identify as uh, gender fluid. I use the pronouns she and they. I am a lesbian. And yeah, right now I'm working through my master's at Ryerson University in molecular science. That's not going to be related today, but it's fun uh, for me. And yeah, I have some experience, quite a bit of experience working with Jewish youth and LGBTQ youth, and I'm excited to reflect on that today. I'm excited too. I didn't know you were gender fluid. This is the first time I've heard of it. I'm learning more things every day. This is like a fun COVID thing that we're learning, you know? That's exciting. Yeah, we have have time on our hands now to have gender crises. I love it. I mean, why not, right? If you're going to have a gender crisis, do it when you're trapped at home with nothing but your thoughts. Exactly. Great. (laughs) Today in Sex News, the article is called Porn is the Top Source of Sex Education for Young Adults. It's from LiveScience.com, LiveScience.com, from January 27th, 2021. This article is about where people actually get their sex education and a few things that they think worth noting. In 4,000 porn videos, roughly 40% depicted violence, almost always towards women. A new study published January 4th in the Archives of Sexual Behavior found that 50% of participants hadn't received useful outside information on how to have sex, but the other half, aged 14 to 17, had. Participants were all young people, theoretically. And the quote is, of those who said they had received helpful information, about a quarter of young adults put pornography at the top of the list over sexual partners, friends, media, and healthcare workers. Adolescents were much less likely to mention pornography, with only 8.4% turning to porn as their source of information. Instead, the 14 to 17-year-olds were more likely to mention parents, at 31%, and friends, 21.6%, as their top sources of information. So I had some thoughts, and I want to hear yours. I as well. Yeah. So my first one here is I don't think that we should take that number that that's 14 to 17 year olds in high school aren't looking to porn for information as a sign that young people don't do it eventually. Because if that directly next age demographic is looking at porn, what else is happening in their lives? They're leaving their homes. They have more privacy. They have access to their own Internet when they're at university. It might just be that they're too afraid to be looking at porn as much as they want to. That would be my assumption. It could be wrong. No, I would agree. And I would say they're probably actually, they are looking at porn, but likely not admitting it. I think a lot of people are more comfortable talking about pornography after the ages of eight, like 17, 18. So that would also check out with those numbers as well. So there's just a lot here that I'm I'm confused about. And then, you know, unrelated to this article, I think I also sent you a video about the Pornhub's advertisement in Australia. So interesting. Yeah. So for those of you who haven't seen it, Pornhub made an ad for their sex ed video series. And it's basically these 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 two naked porn actors knocking on this woman's door and she opens it and they're like, just so you know, your child is learning how to have sex from us. And like the two actors are fully nude in this ad. It's hilarious. And then the kid that walks out looks like they're maybe 12. Right. Um, no, and I think that that video and that, that article that goes along with it perfectly kind of uh, relates to this article, which is simply the fact that, you know, pe- most people aren't getting sex education from educational sources, but rather from porn, which for the most part isn't meant to be educational. No. What is it meant to be? <laughs> Just fun. It's entertainment. And that's great. Like, we need that for sure. 
but it's misleading. Yeah, the second article specifically states in statistic that because, you know, I love statistics. So a 2015 National Union of Students survey reports that 60% of students use porn to learn about sex, which is completely in contrast with what this other article said. So clearly yep. it depends on the country you're in and, you know, or who are they self-selecting. What is surprising, however, is that nearly 75% of students admitted that porn creates unrealistic expectations. So they're all watching porn and they all know that it's not healthy, but it, we're watching it anyway, knowing that. I think the thing really comes from it's all they're watching. I don't think people are, I don't think at least this age demographic is getting their sex education from anywhere else but porn. I mean, there are school systems that are teaching you how to have babies and not have them. So by sex education here, you mean literally how to have sex, not just how to prevent reproduction. Yes, exactly. And things that go along with that, STDs, STIs, I mean, and just like more important details about like the logistics of sex. Um, I think porn really glosses over that, right? We never see things like lube or like a lot of foreplay, right? So when people dive right into sexual acts without really considering things that we know, uh, things that are healthy and, and helpful for enjoyable sex, it kind of, you know, takes away from it. I would love to get your perspective on on porn, like non-heterosexual <laughs> porn, queer porn, feminist yeah. porn. I'm assuming you watch it I've though, watched, so maybe I shouldn't. It, in all fairness, I watch it all, and I actually prefer heterosexual porn because I find lesbian porn so fake and so fluffy that it's just boring. Um, Can you give an example yeah. of like what, what lesbian porn would be like compared to straight porn that features lesbians? So I guess when I'm watching straight porn, it doesn't have to feature lesbians, but just so I guess my interest or focus is more towards the the girl. Lesbian porn, I always find is very slow and drawn out and like dramatic. And like when I'm watching porn, I just want someone to get fucked. I'm like, let's get to it. It's like most people who watch porn. Yeah. And like, it's just so it's, it's exhausting to watch, really. And, and, and then again, it just feels fake because I've lived those experiences and I'm like, that's not really how that works, but fine. Whereas I guess heterosexual porn for me, I haven't lived those experiences. So I get to kind of have that fantasy. Fascinating. I mean, I guess if you want to watch long drawn out plot line, you should watch Spartacus or Outlander. Not, <laughs> exactly. Not porn. That's what you're watching that for. Yeah, it, Spartacus even more specifically. And when it comes to man on man porn, I think that's, that's really an issue because again, coming to things like a lot of young gay men, if they're coming to, porn for their information, they aren't seeing things like lube, condoms, um, foreplay. Uh, and they think... Which, if you're doing butt stuff, exactly. foreplay is really important. Exactly, right? Like, poor, like, you know, there's all these poor, like, young gay men who are jumping into uh, anal sex, like, without doing these things. And, you know, they pay for it later. Uh, yeah, <laughs> not even later. Oh, my God. In the moment, yeah. You pay for that right away. <laughs> I don't really watch porn myself, but I do host a lot of porn watch parties for Oasis because I like to look at them and like watch them like movies and make comments. Mm -hmm. And I never really watched porn when I was younger. And I think that was probably a good thing because, well, the article talks about how there's a lot of interesting violence against women yeah. in this. And I feel like, I mean, I want to know what they're defining as violence almost always towards women. Do they mean slapping, choking, spitting in their yeah. mouth? Do they just mean rough sex? Do they mean calling them a slut? Yeah, I think they mean rough sex. I think they mean BDSM. I think they mean the idea that, like, in the video, we're not seeing a conversation before about, like, safety words or consent or, like, what do you like and what I'm okay with. They're just jumping in for the entertainment purposes. Right. 
I mean, I think that dirty talk is really interesting because there's like the really easy dirty talk that you see, which is, do you like that? Yeah, I like that. Oh yeah, right there. But then there's also the dirty talk of like, you dirty little slut. You want me to fuck you harder, you know? And like some people like being called a dirty little slut and, you know, sex is play. Right. You know, you don't you don't want to be called a dirty little slut at work. You don't want to be called a dirty little slut by your friends unless they're teasing you for, you know, the stuff you did the day before. But it's like all in good fun. But I think that there's something like I I wouldn't necessarily describe it as violence if you're getting off on it. Yeah, I think the word violence needs to be uh, defined here. But I think that there's definitely a lot of physical acts that are done very roughly in porn. But it's kind of like in like movies when they have to overact something like slapstick comedy, when they have to dramatically fall down a a flight of stairs. So you understand that this person is dramatically falling down a, a flight of stairs. Yeah. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, this is a form of entertainment. This is somebody's job, right? Like somebody's getting paid to make this, to make it appealing. So yeah, I think for the sake of violence, it's it's simply just rough sex for this article. In your opinion, where should people be getting their sex ed from? I think it's a variety of things. I don't think there's anything wrong with, you know, getting some information from porn. That seems totally reasonable. It is so easily available. Um, But that can't be the only place you're getting your information from. So, I mean, ideally, if we uh, um, if you live somewhere where there's good sex education that provides a variety of information, not just don't have sex. And, you know, um, that's a good place to start, ideally in high school or earlier. And other than that, like, I, I think healthy conversations are also really good. I was so surprised to read that people are getting information from porn over their partners. That seemed crazy to me. Right. Why don't you just ask your partner? Well, what if their partner doesn't know what they want? Because they too haven't. Yeah. If we're talking young people. Yeah. But even then, like, I just thought that, like, I've definitely had those awkward conversations where it's like, what are we doing? How do we do this? Yeah. Why don't we just see what feels good? And mm, no, not that. Yeah. So those, those seem like healthy things to have. But I guess, I guess if you're at a certain stage with your partner, you know, and and you're, and you're young, it, it is awkward and porn might just be easier. Easier to just look at a video and try it than than to ask your partner, do you know what you like? Yeah. One thing I should let everyone know, I was a staff at the organization that I worked for. Rachel was a volunteer who actually had a much more hands-on role with a lot of the teens than I did. Um, She basically would hang out with a bunch of teenagers every week and make sure they didn't kill themselves or break the rules. (laughs) That's exactly how I would describe my job. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. um, You know, encouraging teen leadership and acting as a mentor. Did you hear things that they were saying that made you be like, oh God, oh no. And like, how did you handle those moments? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the first important thing about my job was I really wanted to be a mentor for the teens and just like develop a relationship where they could feel comfortable talking about things that they wouldn't want to with other adults. And I was always very, I'm always very open in the organization about like being queer. And if they ask me important questions about my relationship, I will, you know, disclose that information. To clarify, you're not talking about how to have lesbian sex. You're talking about that you are in a really, like, what is that? What does that mean? Yeah, they're not being like, excuse me, Rachel, what is lesbian sex? Um, although I'm sure they're all wondering. <laughs> no, they're... Oh, they certainly they are. They're like, oh, tell me about your girlfriend. Where did you guys meet? You know, how long have you been dating for? And I can, I can, I'm happy to talk about that. The same kinds of questions you would ask a straight staff person. Exactly. Um, and, and I'm lucky at this organization to, at this kind of Jewish organization to feel comfortable talking about such information. But um, with regards to like, them mentioning things yeah there's a lot of I I hate the term but there is quite a bit of slut shaming is what I would call it 
um, which, you know, I, I generally always am dismissing and, you know, explaining that people make their own choices. Cool. Exactly. It's not cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I hear negative things, like, like just negative relationships, there's a lot of stuff about, you know, teenage boys taking advantage of these girls or like, you know, pressuring them to do stuff. And that's when I really have to step in and say, um, like, one of your, one of the girls from your chapter taught me the term sucking willy. Yeah. Um, Ugh. So, like, I don't know if you remember, you know, probably who I'm talking about, right. but I remember them telling me about, like, he really wants me to suck his willy, but I don't want to suck his willy. And that was, like, one of those conversations where you're, like, even the fact that you're calling it sucking willy <laughs> tells me that, tells me that you definitely shouldn't be. Like, that was the, I mean, I, nothing would be a bigger turnoff to me or anyone I'm fucking with than if I looked at them and I'm like, you want me to suck your willy? Like, that is not. <laughs> um. Yeah, listen, like, it's, it's. It's not a matter of us from, like, uh, an adult perspective being like, don't do these things, but rather, like, is this something you really want to do? Why do you feel like you have to? What are the consequences if you do it? What are the consequences if you don't? Not, like, in a bad way. Yeah. Just what will happen. And I feel like that's why a lot of these teens avoid talking to adults about sex is because they assume that the reaction is going to be, no, don't do that. Right. Um, so I do my best to just avoid that altogether and just talk about it and be more open. And, and I do find that being relatable helps. Um, that if, it's, especially if one of my teens is disclosing like deep personal information and I can relate to some degree, sharing that experience and being like, yeah, I've been there and, you know, talking a bit about it and just making that a safe space for somebody to share. As a staff person, were you ever, did you ever feel obligated to report something that you heard about or did it ever get to that point? Yes, I've definitely reported stuff. You kind of have to, I, I mean, I know that you're legally required to, but. Yeah, so there is a report up and it, it is important with teens because the moment you get legal stuff involved, you got to report it. How did you navigate that balance of being a confidant and relatable person with knowing that you would, and they knew that you would report things if you thought they were unsafe? So that's tough because when this person first came to me, I thought it was a joke because when they brought it up, they were laughing and they were giggling and they and, and at first I was like, oh, this isn't an issue. I'm going to disclose vaguely, essentially uh, a photo of one of our teens was shared, um, a nude photo and and it was making its rounds around and it was making its rounds and and snapchat and such it's so easy to share these things so uh and when i first heard it i again thought it was a joke wait i I should clarify this photo was not taken by her no exactly this was a photo taken by someone else without her consent yes we should clarify yes for sure okay um and and she was laughing when she told me she's like aha this is you know kind of ridiculous and at first i was like okay uh and then a moment later i was like this is bad and mm-hmm. again, I don't want to. I don't want to be in a position where I scared her. So I, I, I explained. I was like, "Well, let me, you know, if you're like, I, I want you to know that I, I do have to report this up, but I'm going to be very transparent the whole way. Talk you through who I'm telling this to and and what we're dealing with. Um, I think her biggest concern or their biggest concern was simply that um, they they didn't want to getting back to their parents, which is totally fair. Um, that's like the teen's biggest nightmare <laughs> is their parents hearing about their sex life. Yeah. I mean, I understand though, because then their parents have to deal with it. Right. And their parents have to know, you know, I think there is a lot of ignorance is bliss and parents are sending their kids off to parties and being like, oh, whatever. They know that they're doing something. Right. They don't necessarily know what, and they don't necessarily but to know the details is scary. So I think with regard to this, it was just a matter of a lot of communication back and forth with who I was reporting this to and to the teen and. And at the end of the day, it wasn't, you know, we got the picture to be taken down and and this teen was really a a trooper and was like, yeah, screw it. Like, some people have seen this photo. I don't care. Like, 
they had a really good attitude about it because at that point, that's really all you can do. Um, there mm-hmm. wasn't much. Some people are traumatized forever. Other people are resilient and bounce back or reclaim, reclaim their narrative. Maybe. Exactly. That's how I would say it. How much do you think of the way that these young people are interacting with each other, pressuring people for nudes, sharing nudes, being shitty in those ways? How much of that do you think is influenced by porn? You know, in your opinion, as someone who's doing their graduate studies in molecular biology, <laughs> in my professional opinion, but with a lot of hands on youth experience. <laughs> yeah. Um, listen, like, is porn telling people to be violent and bad and mean in relationships? Not explicitly. Um, but if if that's all they're watching and all they're hearing, it makes sense that it would kind of bleed over into the other. Like, we know as two adults that there is a very clear difference between what someone may see on porn and what happens in a relationship. Uh, and those differences are extremely healthy. Um, so to somebody like young people who don't know those differences, yeah, I can see how one would influence the other. I know that a lot of a lot of the ways that I learned how to behave as a teenager, I learned from sitcoms <laughs> and TV and movies. Right. I didn't watch porn as a teenager. So there was like a lot of like inherent cultural messaging. I think when people try and demonize porn as the ultimate evil, they're ignoring the surrounding media that feeds into like the relationship context that they're getting from everything that isn't porn. Oh yeah, they're getting terrible relationship advice just from TV. <laughs> like and then their peers. And like I always joke about queer media and like if you ever see a queer couple, gay, lesbian, bisexual on TV, they oh, it's never a healthy relationship. There was just that that Christmas movie called oh, I can't remember Seasons Greetings or something. And it was... Is it one of those Hallmark movies? Yeah, but it was a lesbian, you know, Hallmark movie. And I was so excited for it. I was like, finally, we get two girls having a Christmas romantic. And they have the most toxic relationship I have ever seen. Like, I watched that movie screaming at the, at the TV. Well, didn't you know women are toxic? So when you put two in a room together, they're just both bitches. <laughs> it was, it's terrible. And, and like, I guess I was lucky at that point in my life to be watching that in a healthy relationship and notice it. Well, I mean, that Hall- Hallmark movies also tried to do a Hanukkah movie and it was just offensive. <laughs> so maybe Hallmark should stay away from trying to be inclusive because they clearly don't understand what they're doing. Yeah. Do you remember that one? I didn't watch the whole thing. I just I don't think I watched read it, a synopsis. But yeah, I definitely didn't hear good things. That one was about there's this uh, there's this girl and this guy, or there's this girl and she needs to bring a partner home for Christmas so that she's not embarrassed, and so she hires someone, but he's Jewish, so he lear- needs to learn how to like he basically pretends to not be Jewish in order to like fit in with the family and like it's like dude we we see Christmas movies we can be normal people, <laughs> but like his ringtone was something like Hava Nagila or like something <laughs> tacky like that like. You know, like it was very like uh, not like not the way people not the way Jewish people actually live their lives. Yeah. Like that movie would is ridiculous because as someone who went to Christmas with Alex's family for the first time, I would say it was equally as awkward or not awkward as visiting anyone's family for the first time for a holiday where their traditions are different than yours. For sure. Even in Jewish families. That's terrifying. Oof. Right. Doesn't matter if they pray to Jesus. (laughs) Or if they do the full beer cut after the meal. It's it's scary meeting someone's parents, especially for holidays. Yeah. While we are on the phone together, Mm -hmm. I would love to spend a moment and talk about the Gay Jewish Summer Camp that you work at. Ah, so yeah, I work at Canada's first LGBTQ Jewish sleepover camp. It is called Machane Lev. We do a one-week sleepover session at a campground. And, And yeah. Cabins or tents? Cabins. Um, Thank God. Continue. Right. This is a Jewish camp. <laughs> <Please>. <laughs> um, 
And yeah, we had about 30 participants last year and, and 10 staff. Of course, on our 10 staff, three of them are named Rachel, as one would expect at a Jewish camp. Do you guys do the thing where there's like Rachel G, Rachel Q, Yeah, Rachel I, I went by Goldie at camp. Like all of the teens call me Goldie. And it was one of those things where I always forget until I get to a camp setting. And then when I get back home, I'm like, who's Rachel? Um, <laughs> so, um, and yeah, I definitely came back for my first summer and reflected on it as the most life-changing experience I've had. Because as a queer Jew, going to sleepover camp was really intense. There was a lot of pressure to, you know, um, not talk about any anything that wasn't perceived as Jewish. So there wasn't space to talk about being gay. Gender was like, strictly enforced girls do arts and crafts boys do sports and to just go to a camp work at a camp where all of these things are completely thrown out the window like for starters we don't even have gendered cabins cabins are split by age so kids as young as like you know our kids range from six to seventeen so six to ten year olds are all in one cabin we've talked a little bit earlier on earlier episodes about like hookup culture at camp What's it like at a gay camp for hookup culture? That's really interesting because I think a lot of these teens and kids are still coming to terms with their identity, are still like working through these things, especially more complicated matters like gender that can be quite fluid for some and, and even sexuality. Um, I think at camp we see less of a, a, a hookup culture and more of just like a lot of conversation. Like these teens are up until like 1, 2 a.m. talking about their shit and their trauma and like trying to work through it. They're not making out, they're making friends. They're not making out, they're making friends. And like, there is a big understanding of like respecting people's space and people's bodies and people's desires. So, you know, if people do decide they want to hook up or, you know, whatever, it just, we're promoting a safe space. Don't do it in the cabin where like everyone's together. And, and again, there is a big emphasis on like respecting people's consent and bodies and, all, the, all such. So it's a lot less toxic and a lot more respectful is what I'm Exactly. Hearing. We, I like to think that it is not at all toxic, but you know what? Like we are exposed to this. Like last summer I heard the term fap shack. Some of the boys, uh, 13 year old boys were going off to a cabin that they had labeled the fap shack. And I assume it was to jerk off. To jerk off. I don't think they actually jerked off. Um, but it was just the idea that like, even with all our like positive reinforcement and open conversations, we still get that. <laughs> no, and that's totally It's fair. almost like people are going to be horny. <laughs> They're going to want to fuck. They're going to want to go to a fat shack. <laughs> yeah. And, no matter, despite our best efforts to prevent them. Yeah. And like when we hear that term, we're, we're a little taken aback, but it's like, oh yeah, that's natural. These are teens. These are 15 year olds. Like they're going to hear these terms. They think the number 69 is funny. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I still think I still laugh at the number 69, but that's also part of my job. Yeah. So it's my job to laugh at 69. <laughs> that is the greatest. <laughs> you also went to the Jewish organization that you currently volunteer at that I worked at before. So you probably had a very different experience in it than the average heterosexual teen. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I think that's totally fair. Uh, I think the easiest way to put it is I, I walked into the organization uh, hooking up with boys and I walked out hooking up with girls. Um, and, and I'm sure the boys love that too. <laughs> and, and yeah, there was a really interesting culture to it where there was one person who was older, uh, the chapter president at the time, who was very open about their sexuality and being bisexual and, and curious and, and really encouraged other girls in our, in our all female chapter to just 
talk about it and be curious. And that really helped me because I, I, I was for the first time given a space where I could be. And that's, you know, where I kiss a girl for the first time and, and question my sexuality and finally came to terms with like being a lesbian. But there was also some toxic toxicity with that as well. Like there was this whole idea where, you know, the some of the girls would always ask for the DJ to play that Katy Perry song, I Kissed a Girl. And when that song was played, the girls would all make out with each other. Not because necessarily, you know, they wanted to make out with each other, but more to like make a scene, especially for the boys. It was performative. It was performative. And like me reflecting on that feels very uncomfortable. May I ask, were there staff in the room when that was happening? There was staff in the room when that was happening. And I think, I think they were lost. I think they didn't know how to navigate uh, like two girls kissing. And I think Things have really changed from when you were a teen yes. from now you as a staff. Yeah. That would not fly anymore. Yeah, exactly. So They'd all be sent home. So I think there was a point where they had given them warnings. You know, some of these individuals, they had said like, and I think they had explained it. Like, you can't do this not because it's two girls, but because it is performative and, and, and by that means inappropriate. And we don't make out on the dance floor at these organizations. Exactly. Save it for the after party that we all know you're having. <laughs> exactly. So, and then at one point, I think it was their final convention. Some individuals had done it and they, they were reprimanded. They were told they couldn't give life, which is like this big deal. And I remember there was a huge fight. There was tears. It was very dramatic. And at the end, they decided like, fine, we'll give you this opportunity to talk about your experience, which they called life. But like, please understand that this is not appropriate. Uh, but it took like years. <laughs> well, I think it's interesting because as a teenager... You've done it all these other times and no one ever punished you. Why would you, why would you stop now? Right? Like, why is this the time that we're being punished for it versus like being told after, like you're graduating, but for anyone, you know, we need, people need to know that if they broke this code of conduct moving forward, you will be removed from the convention. You will not be able to stay, you know, I see rules. And I think me as a a younger queer person, like didn't understand. It was like, wait, I, I can't kiss girls or I can't kiss girls in front of other people. Like, there wasn't really a healthy conversation around that. Well, I think in general, you shouldn't be making out in front of staff. <laughs> no, it's it's weird. weird. We don't want to see that. Yeah. And I make an effort, especially in the chapter that I'm in charge of right now, to make it very inclusive to queer people. I know that we don't have, you know, many out queer people in the chapter, but I still make it a, an effort. Like, for example, they play a game a lot where they call it, I mean, we call it like Chuck, fuck, Mary, um, but they call it like kiss, Mary, kill. We called it fuck, Mary kill in, in my friend group. Yeah, we use the word fuck. They use the word kiss, which is cute. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. They might probably because they know they can't say fuck around us at the organization. Yeah, I definitely drop an F-bomb here there, but uh, <laughs> I'm only human. So, yeah, when they play this game, like I find that they would always just name boy celebrities, you know, like Chris Hemsworth, you know, Ryan Reynolds. I don't know. Some other pretty boy. Um, some other Chris. <laughs> yeah. Um, whereas like, that's a point where I interject and I say, I think it's important to include women as well. And also, I mean, who you would kiss, who you would marry, who you would kill. Right. And like, it's not a matter of like, oh, if somebody says a girl, they're gay. It's just a matter of like, including everyone and and making it a safe space for everyone. Plus, I think that there are some guys that I'd rather like, I'd rather marry a woman than some of the male options, if you know what I mean. A hundred percent. Yeah, I don't necessarily need to want to fuck them, but I might want to marry my best friend rather than that fuck boy that I met on Tinder. Yeah, you'd know? be nice for the night, but not a stable relationship. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it's just a matter of like making that space. Like, yeah, maybe no one's queer or like, you know, out at that moment in time, but just making a space where they do feel comfortable is, is so important. I'm trying to figure out how I can relate this back to porn, but I can't come up with anything. Well, I, I think another big thing with the teens is, especially with the girls, um, is, the, is even the topic of masturbation. Like, I remember being a teenage girl who did masturbate and all my friends were guys and we spoke about masturbation. And then finally meeting other teenage girls and sitting in a room where they would all be like, no, I would never <laughs> yeah, Claire Frank was on a few a few episodes oh, ago, uh, specifically to talk about female masturbation, all of those things. I'd be happy to talk about it with you again. And just like learning to masturbate and learning that it's okay to touch yourself. And we were talking about, about how there are no good lady words for masturbating. So she just says nut, <laughs> nut you know, nuts. and I'm okay. like, I love it. Like, you know, I need to go nut. <laughs> like he nutted. And I was like, this is the best. Yeah. So, yeah. so I think even those things, like regardless of you know, queer or not, like teens just struggle with that. Honestly, in porn, when women are masturbating, it is very performative. It is right. always about the camera angle and it is always about the man. So if you are learning about female pleasure from porn, you're wrong. Yeah. Because when you are when you are masturbating privately, you're not doing it for the camera angles. You're not doing it for a partner. You're doing whatever feels good and that might not look good to someone else. Yeah, and they're not explaining any of this during porn, right? Of course not. Guys jerk off. It's out there. They can sit. They can stand. They can lie down. Either way, the penis is obvious. Yeah. You can see it. Girls, it's not so easy. There's like a lot of different positions that would not be good on camera that people would do that feel better. And just the idea, I think, that penetrative sex is the above all and end all of like a female climax i think is is very oh, hard like and especially as even in romance novels <laughs> romance novels need to do better <laughs> the whole thing we're like and then he entered her and they came together and i'm like what um unless it's a modern one where he's inside her and she's using a vibrator i don't see that happening <laughs> why is coming together at the same time the ultimate expression of love <laughs> I, I don't know in all fairness my I think I turn more to porn than uh, romance novels. I turn more to gay Harry Potter fan fiction than either <laughs> of those two categories. Yeah. Um, next time we should you should have my grandma on, who is very much a promoter of romance novels. She every time I talk to her, I'm like, Grandma, what are you reading? And she'll list off some steamy, hot Scottish, you know, man meets girl kilt action yeah um which is great for her i think it's really funny when people will be like what are you reading i'm like porn they're like you're reading porn i'm like i'm reading a romance novel there's a sex scene that's porn well i think another thing with porn is is just the different variations and and different types like i started out not watching i guess like traditional porn but i always started out watching hentai like as somebody who loved anime and reading and reading like hentai and and watching these you know, I guess, cartoon um, porn illustrations. My first porn was Yaoi manga. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Like, for those of you who don't know what I just said, that is <laughs> cartoon comics written in Japan featuring only pretty boy men <laughs> fucking each other. That was it. I was reading that at 15. I was reading gay Harry Potter fan fiction. Well, I was only reading things with gay dudes. I didn't want women in my porn. Fair. They ruined the fantasy. I don't want women. I just wanted men everywhere the eye <laughs> the could see. The more penis, the better. More like the more masculine bodied people, the better, I would Fair. say. I say with the idea that in Yaoi, they all look very effeminate. So maybe that's... Yeah. I was going to say, they're all tiny, skinny boys. Yeah. They're, well, they're, it's written by women for women. I was reading content made by women for women, and it just happened to all be gay men. Except it wasn't gay men, because gay men written by gay men look very different, and the plots are very different. Yeah, which I think goes back to like the idea that porn isn't designed 
to be educational. It's designed to be entertaining. So when you watch lesbian porn, this isn't what lesbians do. This is meant to help people get off, whether it's men or women. Yeah. You want to shut your brain off for a second and not think so much. I often laugh when I think about like what happens after they stop filming. How awkward is that? And you're like, okay, let's go to the snack table, like cut. We're good. Clean up. And like, I got to go home to my kids. I'll see you later. (laughs) I don't know, but I would love to be on a porn set one day and watch. Like I would love to, if I could get a job making porn or like being part of that process, I think I'd be very okay. Like I'm so interested in like doing you know me, I like content creation. I think it would be so interesting to like be even just like a general assistant on the set just to like be like, okay, what do we need? We need a uh, like, you know, someone to pick up the thong off the floor and get it out of the shot. You know, like I want to see what it looks like. Yeah, because we know it's not that flawless. We <laughs> And I was joking with some friends the other day about like how awkward it would be to watch each other's like to be a fly on the wall in each other's like bedrooms for sex. Why don't you come to Oasis and then you don't have to be a fly on the wall. You can just stand there and ask if you can watch. <laughs> no, but but the fact is that like things aren't so smooth and sexy and, and easy, right? Like there's awkward moments. And I, one thing that I love to like my partner and I often joke about is like during sex, we laugh. That like when, when shit's awkward, we'll just look at each other and be like, we'll laugh. Because it's like, oh man, I'm sorry. I can't believe that happened or whatever. I think you know if you're with the right person, if you can laugh when you're having sex with them. If you feel like you can't laugh, you're with the wrong person. Yeah, I, I would agree. That sounds something right. You, something you'll never learn in porn. But if right. you can't like <laughs> laugh when something goes wrong because there's not enough trust there, that's you shouldn't be fucking that person. <laughs> no, yeah. it's You should be able to be yourself. If you're the kind of person who's going to laugh at a queef you should be able to laugh at a queef. <laughs> laugh at the queef laugh at the queef it's like when you're in yoga and someone's back farts against the mat and you can't laugh even though it sounds like a fart you know it's not but it could be or it could not be but you can't laugh because you have to be too mature if you feel yourself being in that space in the bedroom maybe it's the wrong space but that's what porn is proposed to be like this like kind of like strict scripted yeah sex i did watch this one thing about I can't remember if I was speaking to someone who made content or if I was watching a documentary. I can't remember anymore. But they were talking about how going into a scene, I said, is the whole thing scripted? Is there someone telling you what to do? Or like, do you say, okay, this is going to be anal, so we're going to do anal? Or do you just like go into it and then whatever happens, happens and you go from there? And this person was saying that she and the partner will discuss ahead of time a little bit of what they're thinking of doing, but then they just do what seems right. But they are they, they do perform and they are performing and they know how to perform with other people. So this is kind of like actor. It's like a mix between like acting and improving because you're improving with your bodies. And so sometimes things will happen and sometimes they don't always happen the way that they thought they did. But a good producer will just film whatever's happening and go with it and it'll be fun. That's how porn happens. So it is still real people doing things, but they are still making sure to get the angle that they need and you know, the guy can't come in the first five seconds. He has to wait until the end. Yeah. That's the other thing. How do porn stars last so long? Viagra. Yeah, I was going to say, that's so, that's another thing that's very unre- unrealistically portrayed. People don't realize, like, they're not saying, okay, so now I've popped this Viagra pill so I can go for hours. But imagine if they did. Teenage boys would be like, well, then I need Viagra. And then trying to plow their girlfriends for hours and hours and their girlfriends being like, please stop. I can't feel anything and it chafes. <laughs> Like (laughs) nobody wants that. Well, some people do want to be fucked like a porn star, but nobody wants that all the time for every sexual encounter. No, that's extremely harmful. What was interesting with this article is even at the end, they kind of mention, you know, um, 
I don't know, like a resolution. So they were talking about, on one hand, the younger group, adolescents, teenagers, are turning to their parents for information, which is interesting because I think that could be a double-edged sword, depending on who your parents are. Yeah, your parents (laughs) might not have information. When it came to reproduction, I would go to my parents for information. But when it came to how to have sex, I knew that that wasn't a conversation I'd be able to have with them. I knew that the conversation would be, you know, um, I want to make sure that you are on the pill, not here's how to give a hand job. No one wants that conversation with their parents. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I was in a slightly different position where I, I, I was under the impression my parents didn't want me to be gay. So not only was I hiding my sex life, I was hiding my identity. Did your parents care that you were gay? At the end of the day, they don't care anymore. Uh, I think what they cared about uh, at the time when I came out, I came out when I was 18, they were upset that I, they had been lied to, which mm. to some degree is fair. Um, cause I did lie quite a bit. You know, I made the switch from, from guys to girls when I was 15 and every time I was seeing a girl, I would just swap, like there was a period where all the names were kind of gender neutral. Like I was seeing a Jamie or a Sydney. So I was good. But I remember one time, I think I was 17 where my mom went out and she was supposed to be out for the day. So Sydney came over, uh, and my mom had heard about Sydney cause she would ask me, she'd be like, how are the boys? And I would, I would just tell her about Sydney and not, you know, disclose that she was a girl. Um, and then, yeah, of course that day my mom came home early mm-hmm. and Sydney was like, hi, I'm Sydney. And my mom was like, Sydney, like looking at her, like, Oh, this is the same person. Um, mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, we we never really talked about that. It was just, Sydney went home, you know, my mom, I think, purposely stopped asking about boys. Uh, And when I came out a year later, she was like, I can see where this may have come from. (laughs) (laughs) Did you ever feel like you couldn't be Jewish and gay? Oh, yeah. My synagogue made me feel like that. I, I was an active member of my synagogue. I worked in the nursery of my synagogue, uh, Beth Emmeth Base Yehuda, uh, for eight years. Uh, Call them I out. Will. Fuck that place. I'll drag yeah. them. I worked there for eight years, Ray, from the from from the ages of thirteen to like twenty one or something. I don't know what the math is. The point is, I had a significant part of my life there, and I loved it. My brother worked there. My friends worked there. We all worked together, and we created this beautiful space. And we would just take care of kids who came in. And yeah, I came to a point where I was about twenty or twenty one, and I was more confident with my identity. And I wanted to be gay at synagogue, but there wasn't space for me to be gay at synagogue. And I, you know, I had I had had what I called the gayest summer of my life, where I went on um, a gay birthright, essentially, which is I don't know if you've talked about birthright, but it's a we have. Yes. So the idea was this one was you went to Pride Parade with a bunch of other queer folk. And it was it was a really wonderful experience. Uh, And then I had worked at Machane Lev, the gay Jewish camp. And I'd come back to my synagogue being really, you know, excited to just implement implement some queer things. And they said no. And it was really hurtful. And I had actually and they at that time they were looking for a new youth director. And they sat me aside and they said, we'd love to have you as the youth director. And I was at school at the time. They said we could make it a part time job. We want you. You've been here for so long. And I said, I'd like to have a conversation with the rabbi. So I sat down with the rabbi at that point. I had said. I don't feel comfortable working at a synagogue that I can't be myself, that I know won't marry a same-sex couple. And he goes off about how there's always space for queer people in a synagogue and how they're welcome to have membership and come to weekly things, but they can't get married. 
So you can get married somewhere else and then give me your dues. Exactly. And at that point, I said, fuck it. I Yeah, any synagogue that won't perform an interfaith marriage but says that I can join their synagogue now that I'm already married, that I I just won't participate. Yeah, and it was so harmful for me. As somebody who's always been very outspokenly and proudly Jewish and, and loves Jewish traditions and rituals and, and studying Torah or whatever it is, to like go back to this place that I had like been raised at and like loved and grown so much and realize that like there wasn't a space for me to be me anymore. Did you feel like rejecting all of Judaism in that moment? Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to drop kick Judaism out the window um, with my rabbi. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what brought you back? So what brought me back was was finding an intermediate. So, you know, I, I kept, there was a lot of things. So for example, I used to keep strictly kosher. Um, and then when this happened, I was like, I don't need kosher anymore. Started going off the rails, eating whatever the hell I wanted. Baking cheeseburgers, here I come. Hell yeah. Um, and I started to miss certain things. I mean, you know, I missed, I would find myself yearning for things like Shabbat dinner with my family or Passover seders or dressing up for Purim, like things that I just innately, like, I just love these things and denying myself those things was only hurting me. So there was definitely a year or so where I was just trying to figure out where I fall on the line of like kind of combining both my queer and Jewish identities. I guess that's one of the pitfalls of being a religion and a culture. Exactly. The idea being that when you want to reject the religion, you're kind of rejecting your culture at the same time. Yeah. And like, I, I don't think that you can't be Jewish and, and gay or even Orthodox Jewish and gay. I think there, that is a totally reasonable thing, like identity to have. But I just don't think that we're always making space for it. And I think part of what I try to do is being a mentor for like young Jewish teens or young Jewish queers is like, making that space and me being that role model. I never grew up knowing any queer people. You know, I went to Jewish day school from the ages of like six till 18. Everyone got picked up by mom and dad. You know, there wasn't any conversation about what else. So just trying to be present and vocal uh, and visible, I think really makes space for others. I think this is a great place to take a commercial break. Let's do it. Do you want to join the deviants to finding elite and actually tell people about it? Are you, like me, a fuck demon? We are launching Sex News with Ray Swag with these common phrases. We've got hats. We've got toots. That's beanies for you Americans. We've got sweatshirts. We've got crop tops. And as usual, all the art was designed by me, so it definitely has my personal flair to it. Check out the new designs at sharewithray.com slash merch slash SNWR and pick up a piece to support the podcast today. Welcome back to Sex News with Ray. Are you ready for your listener question? Oh, yeah. Let's do it. Window writes in. That's my favorite pseudonym so far. (laughs) It's like table, lamp, window. (laughs) Window writes in. What is the purpose of a safe word? Can't people just say stop? Ooh, okay. So I've definitely been in situations where I have had a safe word. I think the idea is simply that yelling stop can sometimes feels like it ruins the mood and, and, and kind of takes people out of the moment. And I think there should always be space to say the word stop, but I think that needs to be the above all and end all word. Like, I don't think we should throw around stop casually. Uh, so I think the idea is that a safe word is, is not stop. It's something else that has a similar, that has the same meaning. You don't need a safe word if you're comfortable yelling out stop, but if you want to have something else, yell monkeys. Here's a few 
other options for people who do like hardcore BDSM. Um, cause I don't know if this, this writer knows about hardcore BDSM, but some people like to do something consent, non-consent play, which is what we now call rape play because we don't say rape play. It's triggering, but consent, non-consent, you are consenting to what appears to be a non-consensual interaction. And some of the things you might yell as part of that play is stop. No, I don't want this. And so if you were to yell stop and then they stopped, that might ruin the play. Yeah. And the, and the scene. So people will pick a safe word because it allows them to yell all those other things that they want to yell. Um, and then knowing that they have something they can yell like red. So a lot of people do like green, yellow, red when they're starting with like a BDS, something like impact play, mm-hmm. right? Like, how are you feeling? Green, good to go. Yellow, that's the top. You might want to ease it down. Or like, you know, red is stop right now. Stop. This is end. This is yep. the end. So some people who are new will use that. But I also think that uh, some people also don't realize that there are safe motions. Mm-hmm. For people who are gagged or have their face in the pillow. So some people be like, if I tap three times, that means we're done. Cut me out. Like, literally, you might have to physically cut off the rope, you know, like. So safe words also just genuinely work for people who don't want stop to be the safe word. I don't think there's anything wrong with a safe word. And I think you could have fun with safe words. Like, I I always try to find the funniest safe words. Because I'm like, if I'm going to yell a safe word, I want us to just be able to, like, chill. Yeah. Pick something you'll remember. Yes. And be able to yell out when you're in a moment of panic, maybe. And won't be relevant to sex. Like, it, it should be random to the point where it's not going to be related. I think that's why stop sometimes doesn't work. I'm always reminded of Eurotrip when that guy goes to that dungeon by accident and the safe word he did not pick and he could not pronounce, which, by the way, if you want to talk about <laughs> bad representation of sex workers and dominatrixes in movies, that movie is a great example. But it's like this long German word and he tries to say it and they go, oh, and then they pull out like the scarier sex machine. <laughs> so make oh, sure that boy. it's something you can pronounce if you're going to use the safe yeah. word. That would be my my only tip for those of you who are new. A shared language between the two of or between whoever is you know going like window is a really great safe word because it's not sexual it's easy to say it can't be confused with a german sex machine yeah it's pretty clear yeah also a great pseudonym yeah also a great pseudonym do you have any idea how many people are like what's a pseudonym yeah i'm gonna say what's your pseudonym i guess like a code name because this person wrote in with the word window right yeah so that is not their name pseudonym and code name yeah no definitely not (laughs) I just think it's funny that people don't know what a pseudonym is. So, yeah. So, um, I mean, I, not in a, like making fun of people. Like, this goes back to like, if you've never heard the word before, how are you going yeah. or seen it spelled? How are you going to know? Well, people come here to get educated, right? Now they know. Now they know. Rachel, do you want to be found on social media? Ah, uh, yeah, let's do it. I don't really post a lot, but I, I do love supporting others. So, if you follow me, I'd love to like follow you back and support your work. My Instagram handle is the best place to follow me. It is Rachel Goldberg 96. Uh, I should probably change that at some point because it gives away my birth year, but that's okay. So that's spelled R-A-C-H-E-L-G-O-L-D-B-E-R-G 96. It's hard to forget the most Jewish name in the world, Rachel Goldberg. It's also the reverse of 69, if they need to remember the yeah, number. That's, that'll be easy because 69 is a fun number. It's, yeah, it's the best number. Join the Deviants Defining Elite by following the podcast at Sex News with Ray on Facebook and Instagram. Submit a listener question through sharewithray.com slash podcast or email sexnewswithray at gmail.com. Follow me at Wife Bay Ray on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Razor Latex on Instagram and OnlyFans. This podcast is engineered and produced by Dave Meisner and is hosted at sexnewswithray.podbean.com. The theme music is by Blank and Brilliant. Special thank you to Blue Microphones. And as ever, photography for our logo is by Dolly Shots Photography. 